Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, and for right now, in this home stretch in 2020, book by book, looking at Judges chapter 2 today. And Judges chapter 2, we talked about this yesterday. This flows really nicely, actually. Now we have a little bit of a, a nice, just, nice just kind of sequence. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 34, um, and now this is looking, we're, we're actually going to look at a little bit at the end of chapter 1 um, and then chapter 2. But so yeah, th- this is providing that transition then. Okay, so Moses saw the inheritance of the 12 tribes that God had laid out for them, but do they actually take it? Do they actually receive it? Well, kind of, sort of. Um, you know, and, and this is a very helpful chapter because, I mean, it just shows how... Um, uh, I guess it kind of just adds a lot of texture, you know. I think that sometimes we just kind of we just kind of think of everything. We've said this before in terms of those like different colored blobs on the map with those thick black borders, and and it's just that's not really how things used to work. <laughs> it was a lot more fluid. So this kind of helps us kind of wrap our hands around. Okay, okay, this is the kind of situation. Uh, that we were dealing with. This is the kind of situation in some ways that our Lord was born into. Uh, kind of just helps us um, really know what we're talking about. Today, joining us, uh, this this is really nice. We haven't had him on in just a little bit. Uh, we have as our guest, we've got the Reverend Dr. Alfonso O. Espinosa, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, a.k.a. Dad. Thank you very much. For coming back uh, one more time here, while we're uh, wrapping it up in this uh, special uh, eighteen episode segment here, looking at looking at Judges, uh, one one of my favorite Old Testament books. Hey, hi, Pastor AJ. Yes, hi. <laughs> hey, okay. We. How you I, doing? <laughs> doing doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Great to be yeah, on with you. Of course, we're gonna, we had to have you on at least one more time here. Uh, but yeah, I was just saying, Judges, it, it really gives a lot of texture to the picture that we have so that we're not just kind of, because we just, I, I think sometimes we just, we have a very like nation state, black and white kind of image that we superimpose on everything. Like we're like, we just kind of say, okay, well, first they were in Egypt and then there was Israel united and th- and then there were two and then there was this weird captivity thing, and then it was reestablished. And we just kind of think of it as like, I don't know, these these kind of like very like discrete phases. But Judges shows it was very fluid, and it was just kind of constantly waxing and waning. And um, you, you couldn't just really just say like this, put your put your finger on it, and just say this is the one thing. Yeah, have you guys prayed already? I know I was out for a second. No, no, we, we're still getting there, Lord willing. All right. But, let, let, but, let me say a prayer, and I'll, uh, I'll comment. That's fine. Go ahead. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, speaking of that darkness that we just uh, confessed, asking the Lord to lighten us. Um, th- this is the reason why Judges to me is so exciting. It, it's um, it, it's fluid in that it touches real life, and uh, it won't allow us to, at least after meditating on its true meaning, it won't allow us to just you know um, treat this as some kind of a static, um, isagogical picture in the Bible. It's rather a commentary of real life. Um, things have been going great. I mean, the people arrived to the promised land. Um, the conquest and occupa- occupation of Canaan has taken place. And and they're thriving under Joshua's leadership. Um, things are going great. And then uh, we, we come to Judges, and uh, all the wheels are coming off the cart left and right. Um there are some key descriptors in within the book of Judges that give it the clue us in on, on the situation. On uh, Judges 3.12, it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's an unfortunate refrain 
uh, to describe the situation throughout the book. And later on in the book, uh, we hear a couple times at least, uh, this one time in 17.6, every man did what was right in his own eyes. This is a wake-up call. Um, after the tremendous blessings that God has poured out, the people of Israel, the, the apple of his eye, uh, are, are stuck in this judge's cycle of enjoying the peace that God provides, but then sinning, rebelling, and then experiencing judgment, and then being led back to repentance, receiving forgiveness, and then experiencing the um, extraordinary deliverance of the judges who um, prefigure Christ. They're, they're uh, military judges, of course, but they save the people of Israel in a very practical way. But the reason why the cycle takes place is because of the constant rebellion and uh, compromise of God's people. Um, in chapter 1, I'll wrap up my little summary here before we go on. Chapter 1, uh, verse 21, the Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites, so it's compromise. Uh, verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth Shan or Tanakh or Dor or Ebleam. Uh, verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. And then verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Ketron. And verse 31, nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko or Sidon, etc. So over and over again, um, their failure and their compromise is recorded. And we need to hear this message because uh, here we are in the church today. We have the, the judge of judges, the savior, the king, the compassionate Lord who reigns uh, in the church today. And yet, as Timothy Keller reminds us in his 2009 book, Counterfeit Gods, we are still dealing with idolatry and the tendency to compromise and to forget. And, and now the modern modern day idols include money and success and so-called love and power. So, yeah, this is a timely book. Uh, it's a great book to prepare during this Advent season for Christmas. Yeah, it's a, it's a helpful overview. I, I think so. It really, really quickly dispels the illusion that like, oh, well, you know, back then they had Moses and Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant and, you know, or later the, the apostles, right? And, ah, uh, you know, if only it was like that, like, wow, well, <laughs> you know, it was, it was pretty messy back then too. Um, and, and so uh, I think, yeah, that, that that's helpful as, as a comfort, as you were saying, um, you know, to know that God is still at work in our situation. It's not like, uh, we've kind of entered some kind of like dark age or something. Um, and it's, and it's also, yeah, I, I think as you were kind of getting at as well, kind of, uh, you know, really, really addressing, um, the darkness that, that we feel and, and convicting us at the same time. So yeah, very helpful on both counts. Uh, we're going to go ahead and read in addition to chapter two, a little bit. So you were kind of giving us a little, like, uh, some little bits here and there, but we're going to pick it up actually at verse 30 here um, and just and just kind of look at just so we have a little bit of a fuller flavor of this uh, these seven verses in chapter one and that'll give us a, a chance then to be able to talk about what exactly is it getting at when it says that they didn't drive them out and uh, we we'll want to take a look at the, the language pretty closely but let's go ahead and just get this all out on the table here so this is judges one 30 through 36, and then chapter 2. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalol, so the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Ahlab or of Akzib or Helba or of Afik or of Rehob, so the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, so they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down into the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Harry's, in Ijalon, and in Shelbim, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim, 
from Selah and upward. Now, when the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, and you shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Thanks be to God. So uh, a lot of things here, um, but I, I think overall, uh, kind of like you were setting us up here in your introductory remarks, I mean, I mean you really just see broadly, wow, okay, the, the picture is is not nearly as rosy as we might have guessed from reading Joshua, <laughs> which, which which is pretty interesting, um, just all by itself, right? That like Joshua, um, you know, I mean, really kind of focuses on uh, the successes that Israel had. I mean, there's there's certainly moments of of failures, like uh, absolutely, we saw some of those uh, things like uh, Achan, right? Uh, but you've got a, like a, a lot of focus on Joshua um, as successful. You've got a lot of description of uh, the inheritances, right? Uh, but this is just like the the bucket of cold water, right? Just being dumped on our heads saying, oh, wow, okay. It it really did not live up to expectations. And, and I think for me, the, the thing that uh, I really only kind of came to appreciate uh, later, more recently, was uh, I think maybe, let me see like what there's like a good verse here. I think I think maybe around like verse ten, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Uh, I, I mean, it's so much like the the beginning of Exodus, 
where you've got uh, a pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, right? Like where it, where you really, I mean, it feels like a reset button has been pressed. Like uh, it, you you can say that this is the people of Israel, but they really don't look any different from the rest of the Canaanites, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Luther um, put it in terms of um, the, when the gospel is preached and, and uh, grasped through faith, it's like snow that covers the ground. But as we all know, snow that covers the ground can uh, quickly melt. And, and he's reminding us about the urgency we all have in, in this generation to train up the next generation. Otherwise, it will melt away like snow. The gospel will melt away like snow. And they'll be uh, indistinguishable from the rest of the world. So uh, I, I think judges, among other things, is reminding us we cannot take the gospel for granted, uh, nor the faith for granted, because uh, before you know it, um, we can just become like chameleons and, and just become like the rest of the world. I'm, I'm fascinated, as you were reading the end of uh, chapter 1, that yeah. uh, e- even though uh, back in Numbers uh, they were warned uh, about what to do, and, and of course Joshua himself and Joshua warns them again, uh, we start off this uh, non-rosy picture with this idea of you know their their disregard for driving out the Canaanites. They they compromised. They did not drive out the inhabitants, et cetera, et cetera. And they engage in what they experienced once upon a time in Egypt, but they they wanted to be like the Egyptians this time. And they were more concerned about their economy. They were more concerned about their their outer life. And so they were glad to compromise. And and they did so because they were forgetting their faith. They were forgetting God. Well, and and it's, I think going going back to what we were saying at the at the at the beginning. You know, we, we can look at this really harshly and say, oh, well, I mean, look at them just abandoning their faith. And, you know, well, well we, we don't do that. And, you know, like we, we still, we, I mean, well, I mean, you know, because it's like we, we, we nominally, right? It's like we look around and it's like, well, you know, the churches are still there. And, you know, like, hey, you know, it's it's Christmas and we'll probably go to church on Christmas, right? Like, hey, we have a Christmas tree, you know? I mean, so like, you know, so we, we have like a lot of the trappings, right? Um, yep. But... But I, I think that we we fail to appreciate just what's what's going on here. I, I mean, and I and I think too, uh, part part of the part of the thing that I think is maybe a hint of this is that verse about um, the bales, right? It says there in uh in verse in verse eleven, uh, they they served the bales, and 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 we saw, you know, how later even um, with with uh, in in first and second Samuel. Uh, how Baal was used as a as a term to to, to refer to God, you know, like that that yeah. that was a word that could mean Lord, and so you had um, people naming their sons, you know, st- stuff like you know like uh, Esh Baal, or um, you know uh, what was what was the other one? It wasn't Mephibosheth, but like uh, Mary Baal and, and things like this, um, and, and it was very common. So it, I, I think that from their perspective, it wasn't that they. They wouldn't have said, "Oh, we, we didn't abandon you know the worship of Yahweh, right?" It's just that they had a, I don't know, a more progressive uh, worship of Yahweh, <laughs> a more inclusive and and tolerant worship of Yahweh, yeah. right? I mean, but yeah, it's oh yeah. no no yeah, yeah you know Yahweh is Baal and well you know and all Baal is also in this and you can also find Baal in that. I mean, when we when we when we stop and appreciate just the kind of syncretism is is the is the fancy word for it, right? That was going on. It's well, maybe that's actually not very different from what we're doing today. Yeah, we're reminded of Revelation. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out. And this is lukewarmness. There's no question, and you've made a great point. They're, they're very religious. Paul goes into Athens and to the Athenians. I perceive that you are very religious in every way. He was being very sincere about it. They were religious. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But um, as as we know, uh, partial or obedience is is still um, the disobedience rose by another name. It's still disobedience. It still smells the same to God. It still raises a stench. Uh, so yeah, they were still very religious. They were still getting Yahweh in there, 
But um, the first commandment is uh, don't let anything compete with God. There's only one God. So they were being religious and they retained some of the, you know, the imagery and the symbols and the talk of, of their forefathers. But they were compromisers left and right. And, and thanks again for saying it. I feel as though we always bring up this point, which is a great point whenever I get to talk with you on thy strong word. Again, this is not for us to step back and go, these nasty, stupid Israelites who did all these things. This is for us to see that this is what we do. And uh, we see our nation living in compromise. Now, on the one hand, don't don't stay up all night worrying about it. Uh, you know, we are to be in prayer and confident the Lord, the Lord is still the Lord of his church. And he's holding us and blessing us as he continues to work uh, through the hard times. At the same time, we need to be serious about being salt and light because there's compromise going on left and right. Well, and the... I guess what I guess the ground for that, you know, what, where you get the compromise um, is, I think, in this verse in the, in the second half of verse ten, which which is really interesting the way they it puts it. Right, it says you know who did not know the Lord or the work He had done for Israel, and I think that's just so key because, uh, again, like I, I think we can read that and think to ourselves like, oh, like well, they just you know hadn't heard of them or like they had just for like I don't know like, forgotten like. I don't know, like I, you know, forgot to, you know, pick something up from the store yesterday, right? Like, uh, no, it, it's it's not it's not that, or like, or you know, like, uh, you know, like maybe like I, I forgot the name of like a childhood friend or something like that. Like, no, it's it's not that. But when when it says or, do not know the Lord or the work He had done, they weren't they weren't familiar with it, and I and I think what it means is that they they weren't familiar with the Exodus anymore. Right, it, it, which which I th- which I think you got to take a step back and say, whoa, hang on a second. If you if you take out the Exodus, right? Wow, where does that leave us? Because I mean, is there anything that really even holds them together as a people? Do they even think of themselves right as this one people of God that's been redeemed, that had the the blood on on Passover atoned for them? Right? If you take that out. I mean, the whole thing loses loses its uh, loses its coherence, and so yeah, they can they can say the name Yahweh, and they can say things like you know Yahweh is God and Lord, and they can say all those. But but if you take out that that core, uh, you know, Exodus Passover event and, and confession of faith, I mean, it, it's just it's just well, like you said, they're going to be chameleons. Um, I, I want to get your reaction and kind of put that against what we read in verse uh, verses 30 through uh, 36 in chapter 1, but it's time for our break. So we'll, we'll get to that right when we get back, everybody. We're looking at Judges chapter 2 on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. We love our neighbor on the internet. Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org/witness. That's cph.org/witness. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. How do I keep my kids in church? Will there still be a church for them to go to? New people have moved into my neighborhood. How do I reach out to them? Our challenges are many, 
but it is Jesus who makes disciples for life through his church. Let's come together as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to discuss this joyful work. Learn more about the Making Disciples for Life initiative at lcms.org slash makingdisciples. Again, that's lcms.org slash makingdisciples. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at is chapter two today. We're joined by our guest, the Reverend Dr. Alfonso O. Espinosa, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Also, the elder Alfonso Espinosa. Uh, yes, but the, the, the O initial and also the, uh, the Ph.D., are uh, pretty pretty uh, big distinguishing marks right now, but not for long. We will soon we will soon get that PhD <laughs> taken care of by by the uh, by the mercy of God. Um, if you've got a question though for for me or or for the elder and wiser Alfonso Espinosa, do give us a call one 2727 or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, I was just taking a look at some of those email questions over the break. It seems like the questions are kind of about, um, I mean, this, this is, it seems like it's kind of taking a step back into Joshua, but to, asking about the Jordan River, seeing that as a, as a precursor, as a prefigurement, of uh of baptism and and then saying well no hang on a second like so what do we get from this you know here they are you know baptized in the jordan right and then they're like this i mean they're they, they seem to be you know apostate what's going on so yeah that's that's a fantastic uh overarching question so we'll have to take a look at uh some of the aspects of that you can also if you have any questions and you're listening live just uh hop on the live stream facebook.com slash aj espinosa and uh, there we got some questions as well. Uh, so th- these these are some good questions too. Asking about the angel of the Lord that's always worthwhile. Asking about who he is, both in terms of like the, the theological significance and like what the people would have thought when they saw him. Um, those are both actually really good right here. Um, and then and then a question here about um, is this narrative that we're reading here chronological, right? Because uh, there there are I think actually a couple indicators that make it seem less than step by step. Um, and those, those, those are all some good things you want to talk about today. Uh, I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, uh, their website, lhfmissions.org. So, uh, so yeah, so right before the break, uh, I, I was just kind of taking a look at this, how, you know, in verse 10 it says, they didn't know the Lord or what he had done. But, you know, what, what What that seems to be getting at, it's not that they, you know, didn't know the name Yahweh. It seems that certainly they they did, although it seems like they probably preferred to use the name Baal, right? Which is like, maybe not as scandalous as we think, right? Because it's we know that there was a long tradition, too, of um, using Adonai instead of Yahweh. So, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not unusual, but just, you know, what, what do you think— uh, well, how do how do you think that played out though? Like you know, if if they if they lost their Passover tradition, right? If they weren't observing the Passover anymore, if they weren't looking back at themselves as one nation that had been taken out from Egypt. I mean, like what what did that do to their to their piety to their identity? Yeah, thanks for saying that. I, just some great stuff before the break, and now again. Um, and, and, and you just now mentioned the word piety. Um, so you, uh, what I heard you saying in so many words was uh, reminiscent of Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to pick it up at verse 4 and then include um, the idea that you brought up about uh, the actual exodus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm going down a little further. Um, Then take care. This is uh, chapter 6, verse 12-ish. 
verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yeah. And um, thank you for whoever brought up the Jordan concept, because before, as we know, before the Jordan was uh, the Red Sea, they were baptized into Moses. The rock Christ was with them. Um, these are a people who were taught that remembering wasn't just an intellectual or cognitive process. It was a life lived. And what comes out in describing faith is the necessity of a life that follows. Our Book of Concord says that good works are necessary, not necessary for salvation, but they're necessary. Uh, when there is true faith, they necessarily follow. They must. Obedience is a key word to describe the life of the believer, the follower of God. But first things first, the word must be inculcated. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. It's in your mind. And the verse 10 commentary that you brought up is not simply um, a, a depiction of the failure of the, the, the new generation, but somewhat of a depiction of the failure of the prior generation. Um, Joshua's group was not um, impeccable. Uh, they had the responsibility to teach and to ingrain and to see to it that a life of obedience, I'll use your word, piety, followed. So, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot going on here. Well, I, I mean, and, uh, you know, talking about, you know, piety is, is rooted, like you were saying, in, in teaching and teaching to the next generation and, you know, which is, which is to say the word, right? And, yeah, and, and the remark, too, there that you, you're just saying that, you know, that this reflects badly on Joshua's generation, in fact. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think we talked about this, uh, I mean, re really the last couple of times, how when we were, I mean, going going back, uh, you know, all, all the way to, to Leviticus 10, um, you know, how the, the death of Nadab and Abihu, that reflected badly on Aaron, um, who, you know, their father, who, you know, he, I mean, he even said, you know, hey, would, would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today, right? Like, like seeing that as judgment against him as a father who failed his sons in, in a certain way. Um, and, and we've seen this just this theme, right, again and again, whether it was, you know, Eli with uh, with his sons uh, or, or uh, you know, it was Samuel, right? Um and, and, you, and you just see this again and again, and, and so yeah, I, I think this is this is really challenging, and I think it takes us back um, to chapter one, where you know it says you know kind of again and again that you know they didn't drive out these people, and then we got to take a look at this. So the Canaanites lived among them, for instance, is what it says in verse thirty in the case of Zebulun, um, or. You get this uh, this other uh, phrase, like in verse thirty-three with Naphtali. So they lived among the Canaanites. So it, it's put two different ways, but you know, either way, yet you have these statements, and and it seems like basically, yeah, we 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 are we we are uh, getting assimilated is is the issue, right? And and I think you raised an excellent point. If you don't have the Red Sea, then the Jordan River crossing loses its significance. I mean, you don't know what it means then, right? I mean, like, yeah, we crossed the Jordan River, and now we're here, right? If you if you think that was like we we just crossed the bridge, you know, we got off the freeway, right? Like we you know, unpacked the moving van. If that if that's all it means, right? Like, well, I mean, th this is like somebody who gets baptized, but. I mean, later in life, they, they forget. They don't even know it happened, right? I mean, which is like, and, and the thing is, you, we, we've both encountered this, right? Where we ask someone if, they, if they're baptized, and they say, well, maybe? I don't know, right? Well, whose fault is that that they don't know? I mean, like, the parents have to tell them. I mean, if they were baptized as a child, right? Um, it, you have to have some kind of baptismal remembrance. So, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think this is really tying it into the question, right, that, um, you know, in our practice, we don't baptize people. You know, unless it's uh, the parents like bringing the child forward, or or the guardians, uh, you know, bringing the child forward with that commitment to to teach them, not not because it's like the the te the, the commitment like earns the grace or something, um, but because the two are meant to go together, and you, you got to have the Red Sea for the Jordan to have significance, 
you got to have the water flowing from the Lord's side for baptism to have significance. Yeah, amen. I, 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 amen, amen. Uh, Jordan is uh, kind of a, I like what you said, it's, it's kind of a remembrance, a baptismal remembrance. And um, what happened back uh, coming out of Egypt uh, was this, this dramatic presentation of being baptized uh, as as uh, there was a separation going out uh, going on, um, the people of Israel coming out from Egypt, and and when the Egyptians tried to join in, in the baptism, they they were drowned. Uh, well, we're drowned too, but we rise up. But they were just drowned. <laughs> um, yeah. So so there is a there there is a distinction, and um, uh, we we learn it from both the Old Testament. In the New Testament, that a bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, that's one way of putting it anyway. There's plenty of that going on in the Proverbs, but it's in 1 Corinthians 15.33, by the way, as well. Uh, challenging for us. So we know we're in the world, but not of the world. We're to be salt and light. We are to make uh, disciples of all nations, etc. But at the same time, uh, we are not to um, join the world and, and become syncretistic. And we have a hard time with that. We want to be, you know, we hear so much about being open and, you know, being loving, quote unquote, um, and accepting. Before you know it, we are we are a chameleon again. Well, I mean, and it's it's really hard, right? Because, uh, I mean, it, 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 starts, it starts with the parents, right? I mean, and... and and it's very difficult, you know, as as a parent, uh, to to be this distinctive source of teaching, right, in the life of your family and of your, of your children uh, today, right? Because most of the education that our children consume takes place on screens, uh, it takes place on you know uh, phones or or the TV still, right? Um, but it's it's the media that they absorb, right? And like, what's the the message of that? of that media um, or, you know, they, they go off to, you know, like school in the morning um, and they do that, you know, five days a week. Um, and whether it's a public school or it's a private school, um, you know, the private schools also, you know, have to meet in certain standards and are handed down, uh, you know, things from the state that say, Hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. Um, so, I mean, how are you not supposed to end up like chameleon? Right. I mean, if you're absorbing, and you're being taught all the same stuff as everybody else, aren't you going to end up looking just like everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. And this is um, the, the great challenge of the day to put it mildly. These were challenges, the great challenge of the day for uh, Christians um, in the world today. Um, you know, uh, serious um, parents in Christ, um, do well to form their children those most formative years between about one and four, one and zero to four, zero to five. And uh, man, is that needed because once they start going to school, um, you know, there's a gradual replacement of primary influencers. And um, nowadays those primary influencers are just scary. They, they're just scary. They, they look really good on the outside but they're they're filling minds and hearts, uh, our children's minds and hearts, with some pretty bad stuff. And before you know it, our, our children can stray and wonder what what's wrong with it. I I still believe in Jesus. Um, it's not as though I'm you know uh, an unbeliever now. You know, and we start to compromise. And this is the way. This is the trend, and and it affects all of us. It's very very serious. So. Um, this reminds me as to why uh, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have been so wise and blessed to have such an expansive education system as we do um, from preschool all the way through uh, university. And um, but, but we are hard pressed on every side to compromise uh, even, even in our own synod. So we have to be careful. Uh, certainly. And I mean, and uh, you know, I I, th I think uh, I think I think I would certainly echo uh, the sentiment about 
the blessings of our synod in terms of our schools. Um, you know, e- even if um, that's that's not an option for somebody, and you know, um, you're going to a public school, and you know, hey, you know, I I went to uh, public schools from what was that like uh, maybe fourth grade through I mean like all the way through like eighth grade you know so I mean so I, I had like a, a, a good run in public schools as well um, but you know this, this is the, this is then just the challenge like well there, of course you still can you know teach uh, your your children but but now right this is this is the issue like for especially for working parents like so now you've got to try to you know find this time to uh, have formation it's not it's just it's not just downloading knowledge right it's for its formation um, to have this formation now happen you know outside of school hours um, and and you've got to you know have time to do that while you're still trying to like you know you know make dinner and shuttle them from one place to another and all, like you know get work done and answer emails and all the rest so it, it, it is quite the challenge and, and you really actually when you uh, kind of go through it all you start to sympathize <laughs> with Ephraim and, and Asher and Naphtali and all the rest, right? Because, I mean, let me just look at it. I mean, so these are, these are summary statements. You know, Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. When, when it says these things, it's using a tense that says, um, well, kind of in the end, this is what had happened. Um, and, and then there's a switch, and it says, so the Canaanites lived among them. A little bit more active or dynamic uh, sense in the Hebrew, where it means the Canaanites settled among them, right? But became subject to forced labor. Like this was the compromise. They're like, "Hey, look, like we're we're still going to show who's in charge of who, right? I, I, we, we are going to still be a, and do our Israel thing, right? We are just using these resources, right? We're we're going to put them to to, to forced labor. So yeah, we're using the resources, right?" But we're still going to maintain our own identity, right? Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, or, or, or the uh, the other way around, right? Where it says here uh, in verse thirty-three, so they lived among the Canaanites. It's, it means they settled among the Canaanites. Oh, well, you know that's good. You know we're settling among the peoples that we can be salt and light to the earth, right? We can be a light shining in the darkness, right? We can we can we can be uh, you know missionaries, right? Oh, I mean, like, I mean, like all these sorts of things, right, are all things that we say in our own context, but how we again and again uh, fall into the same trap where we think, oh, okay, yeah, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be a missionary, but really we're just letting ourselves get assimilated or we say, oh no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, buying into all of the, you know, all, all, all the, all the, all the stuff behind it, all, all the philosophy that's behind it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just, you know. I'm just you know, making use of the the math and the science and or, or, or the economic uh, advantages. I'm just, I'm just using that neutrally, but none of this stuff really comes out so neutral in the end, does it? Not at all. Um, and you're expounding on just uh, I, I think the challenge of our day, the, the dealing with the threat of our day. Um, we are bombarded. <clears throat> Uh, within our culture um, to um, to go through this rationalization that that you just um, eloquently described, and we we soothe our consciences because we we know how to handle this, um, but it's like putting fire in your lap. You know, yeah. you, you think it's okay at, at at one point, and then it's and then it's all consuming. Um, and and this is why to get back to um, this call to um, get back to faithfulness um, is really what Judges is is a fantastic book. It, it's so important because it's a it's a humongous warning to us uh, to this day. We're we're in this cycle, this Judges cycle that we teach in systematics. We're we're in this cycle, and we're being called not to come back every once in a while, but every single day to live in our baptism, to go through our microcycle every single day of our lives and, and remind ourselves that everything we handle is an extension of how we live our faith and how we handle, how we handle that, which is around us is an extension of our faith and expression of our faith. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad we're, uh, we're speaking about these things. It's very, very practical and very much needed today. 
Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about some of these other questions that were raised here. So in in chapter two, uh, it starts off with this. Now, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. So, so here we got, it's the next stage in the, in the narrative, right? So like something, something happens here. And so what does he say? I mean, this this is, this is fascinating, right? And, And this is like the thing that I think we easily overlook, but I think we've kind of given it enough context to like, kind of hear this again better. I brought you up from Egypt. <laughs> I he, he's saying the thing that they've forgotten, right? Like they they've they've kind of said like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you know, Yahweh Baal, you know, all this good stuff. You know, he's the one who, you know, gives us rain and, you know, takes care of us." So they kind of remembered the kind of general spiritual truths, right? Um, but they 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 let go of this of this historical distinctive marker. Um and isn't that fascinating? The angel of the Lord appears, and this is the first thing out of his mouth. Okay, what do you make of this? The the the, the showing up here of the angel of the Lord. Um, you know, you have all this. Uh, it, it says in verse four that they lifted up their voices and wept. But I I mean, it doesn't seem like. I mean, what does anything does anything come of it? Like what 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 what's happening here? Who do they think the angel of the Lord is? So, like, I don't know. Kind of help flesh this out for us. Well, the the angel of the Lord. Someone had asked you said someone else about that. The Malak Yahweh. Um, we have a very uh, traditional and to me a very appealing understanding that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. I think First Corinthians chapter ten. Um, I had kind of mentioned before without giving the reference. First Corinthians ten. Um, for I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. There it is. We were baptized right. in the Moses in the cloud in the sea. We all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock uh, that followed them. The rock was Christ. And here he is. The Lord is with them again. And uh, he's calling them to remember their baptism. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you know, uh, Joshua is the Old Testament, uh, Jesus and uh, he gets them settled. Jesus is working through him to get him, get him settled. And now they're, uh, they're turning away. So Jesus is there. Jesus is there to call them back to their baptism. If, if you will, he's talking this covenantal language, covenantal, the old Testament breeze are uh, predictive of the, uh, the, uh, new Testament covenant. Um, so yeah, th- this is covenantal language. Um, I, I made this, I made this covenant with you. You're breaking I'm going to break it now, mm-hmm. um, not not to be mean, but but to to discipline you, um, because you're not living in the covenant that I gave you. You are turning away from it. Um, you've not obeyed, and we don't like you know. Sometimes we just don't like reading that. As good Lutherans, we properly emphasize sola gratia, but we fail to remember sometimes that to be saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, apart from verse of God means that we receive God's grace also to live in Christ, not in perfectionism, but in a real obedience that flows from a living faith. Um, and, and they were just, they were just turning their backs. So, yeah. Well, and so this is a big call to repentance and, uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the judgment that you were saying, right? Um, you know, I, I will never break my covenant with you, but now I say I will not drive them out before you, right? I mean, it's not so much that, you know, that he's like breaking faith. I mean, because I mean, we saw this, uh, you know, we talked we talked about it anyway a little bit last time we were looking at Deuteronomy. Um, you know, Deuteronomy goes again and again and again very extensively, right? If you, if you listen, I'll do this. If you don't, I'll do that. <laughs> so he's... He's actually, you know, like keep keeping up what he said. He's he's he said this was what was going to happen. What, what's fascinating to me though is that you know he he's saying this, and I feel like usually in the Old Testament it's like, hey, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do these bad things. So and and the implication is, hey, let, let's repent and let's stop it, right? Let, let, let's let's get him to change his mind. And so they do. They 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 sacrifice there. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. So there there's the distinctive name of God, not just Baal, but 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 Yahweh, but um, but then it's you know, uh, Joshua dismissed the people. Each goes off to his own inheritance, and it's like, well, what what came of that? So I mean, I don't know. What what do you make of how it just seems like it it just kind of fizzles? It doesn't seem to go anywhere. 
Well, because it it fizzles and it doesn't go anywhere because we're we're sinners and that's what sinners do on their own on on their own they just fizzle and they don't go anywhere. In fact, they it's worse than not going anywhere because they they fight against God. And, and at the point of uh, calling the place Bokim, which means weepers, um, it's it's not very deep. There's a lot of weeping going on, but we're not quite sure what's going on in the heart if it's quite any anything substantial. So yeah. uh, th- this is why the rest of the chapter is so important. Um, God is yeah. going to let them get into a lot of trouble. He, he's going to permit the enemies to to start, you know, kicking their butts. And and so in response, in permitting this to happen, he raises up the judges. And what is he doing through this whole process? He's he's showing his grace again. I mean, come on, these guys are just uh, disingenuous. They're they're insincere. They're forgetting. The, the, yeah. the crocodile tears didn't mean anything, but what does God do? This gospel, incredible gospel of verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was the Lord was with the judge. He, he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. <laughs> this is God. But the Lord yeah. was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So he, he permitted some real groaning to start taking place, <laughs> and, and he had pity on them. And thanks be to God, he does through Christ, through Word and Sacrament today. And I think it's very, it's very insightful, and it's also very sobering. Um, you know, I mean, that is that is fascinating what it says there, right? About like why the Lord, you know, it says there, you know, he, he was moved to pity, right? Um, you know, it it doesn't say well they, they're actually repentant, right? And like, oh, okay, they they really have turned back to me, and so I'm going to you know help them. It doesn't say any of that, right? He just he feels sorry for them. Um, there, there's there's no. I mean, it says there very clearly in verse nineteen, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So this feels like they're not actually sorry. They're sorry that they were caught. They're sorry at Bokim that bad things are going to happen, right? But they're not actually repentant, and, and and that itself is 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 scary for us, right? Because I mean, I, I do think it actually raises up the question, like, okay. So when we're confronted by the ugliness and we say, uh-oh, wait a second, something's not right here. We, we've lost our way. Um, and, and we have the, these moments, these crises, even these tears, right? Is that repentance? Or is that just, as you said, you know, crocodile tears? Is that just sorry that we're caught? And it feels like that because it's just like, you know, the second the judge is gone, just, just like that, back to our old ways. So, I mean, it really just, I think, redirects our attention to, to Christ, uh, to the cross, to the empty tomb, that if we're not becoming um, obsessed with that, right, uh, then, then yeah, uh, maybe those are just crocodile tears. I mean, we should be looking at his tears um, and letting those uh, be what our focus is on. Thank you so much uh, for coming out one more time here in 2020, helping us see off the program here Uh looking forward to following up in person i'm sure thanks dad thank you pastor aj have a great day thanks you too everybody the reverend dr alfonso o espinosa st paul's irvine california uh will be going on to another book in the old testament we're going to keep this going on here looking at ruth next time really looking forward to that one till then i'm pastor aj espinosa peace Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.